And this morning, we're studying a, a part of Scripture that is uh, just uh, perhaps a bit, a bit unusual. These accounts of Elijah the prophet and uh, his successor, Elijah, that are found in the Old Testament books of First and Second Kings. Now, just a little bit of background about these two prophets. In the book of First Kings, the prophet Elijah appears very abruptly. During a time in the history of the people of Israel when the nation is largely given to idolatry. The nation is led by the evil king Ahab and his equally evil wife Jezebel. And in chapter 17 of the book of 1 Kings, seemingly out of nowhere, this man named Elijah appears and says, it's not going to rain for three years until I say so. Now, little background, the people of Israel at that time were given to worship over largely to the worship of Baal or Baal. I'm going to use the North Carolina pronunciation, just say Baal, um, who they trusted for rain and for crops and this sort of thing. And, and then this man Elijah appears. Elijah's name, by the way, means my God is Yahweh. And during a time when people are trusting Baal, this false god, this idol for rainfall and for crops, he appears saying, my God is Yahweh and it's not going to rain until I say so. Well, during May we looked at his life and then last week we looked at the transition from Elijah to Elisha. His name means, my God is salvation. Now this morning we're going to look at uh, the chapter from which Allison read just a moment ago. It's a long chapter, 2 Kings chapter 4. But in that chapter, I think there are three great truths that we learn about God himself. Sometimes when you read these Old Testament accounts, they seem a little bit unusual. You don't really understand what this prophet's doing. It may even sound a little bit weird. Sometimes it helps to stand back a little bit Look at the whole historical context, the setting of the book of 1 Kings or 2 Kings, and ask, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about the Lord? The role of a prophet in Scripture is largely to turn hearts of people to the true and living God. People largely given over to the worship of idols, to idolatry. Prophets break in and proclaim God's word, sometimes do powerful signs like Elijah and Elisha to turn the hearts of people back to the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. God's name for himself means I am that I am. It's, it's translated the Lord in all caps in many of our Bibles. So this is what prophets do, turn hearts back to the Lord. Now, we get to 2 Kings chapter 4. And the prophet Elisha has now filled the shoes of Elijah. And he's doing many of the very same miracles that Elijah did just in his generation, in his time. What do we learn from these signs that these prophets are doing? What do we learn about the Lord? First, that the Lord God, Yahweh, Jehovah, not Baal, has power over creation. And during a time when people look to these false gods to provide their needed crops, 
their needed food, to provide rain, the things they needed for life, their prosperity. God raises up his prophets, and they're demonstrating that no, the creator, the Lord God, Yahweh, he's the one that's got power over his creation. And we have a couple of instances of this, Elisha demonstrating this in chapter 4. We read this, immediately following the account that Allison read, Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, oh man of God, there's death in the pot. They could not eat it. And he said, then bring some flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Well, that's an interesting miracle, isn't it? Changing deadly stew to eatable stew. God's got power over creation, just like Jesus changing water into wine. God's demonstrating his power over the created world. Now, here's a second miracle. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. And they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Does that remind you of anything Jesus did, by the way, in the New Testament? God's demonstrating his power over the created world in a time when people look to, to idols, to other things to, to provide their needs. Just a note in these Old Testament uh, accounts uh, how, about how not to interpret these stories. You know, sometimes we get into a Bible study group and somebody comes up with kind of an unusual way of interpreting these Old Testament accounts. For example, uh, someone may say, well, as I read this story of Elisha, it seems to me like uh, the pot represents the church and uh, the bad gourds are false teaching and the one who threw them in the pot is the devil and the flower is God's word, and we go on and on and on like this, I think it's far better to step back and say, what's going on in the world at this time? What is this miracle, this sign, this thing teaching me about the Lord, about God? And I think one of the things God is teaching during this time when people look to false gods to provide their material needs, that He, the Lord, God, He's got power over the created world. Now, it's interesting because Elisha is doing miracles that were much like his predecessor, Elijah, did. You may remember in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1, when Elijah the prophet stood up and said, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither rain nor dew these years except by my word. What's he doing? He's turning hearts back to the true God. This is where your trust should be, the true God who can withhold rain. Years later, when Jesus comes, throughout his ministry, he's demonstrating power 
over the created world. He's calming storms with his word. He's walking on the water. He's multiplying food. But what's all this teaching us? It's teaching us that the Lord God, not Baal, not these idols, not these false prophets, not these other things we trust in, not even the American economy, is the provider of our material needs. The Lord God, our creator, is. Number two, these signs in First and Second Kings are showing us that it's the Lord God, not Baal, who has compassion upon people in need. Not all the miracles done by these prophets, not all the miracles done by Jesus, were done for the benefit of the large crowds to see. Sometimes a miracle was done for just one person. And like Elijah before him, Elisha meets the need of a widow. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. So they owed some money. Her two children are going to be sold into slavery. Her husband, who was a believer in God, who was a prophet, had died. She didn't have any money, didn't have any resources. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went out from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And, she, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you, you and your son can live on the rest. What's the point of this? Simply that it's God, the true God, Yahweh, the Lord. He's the one who has compassion on the widows and the orphans, the poor, and the hurting. Not these false gods that the people had placed their trust in. Now, if we looked back at Elijah, his predecessor, we would see him doing almost the exact same thing. If you read these two books together, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you see that very similar miracles are done by Elijah and Elisha. We saw in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 12, again, uh, Elijah encountering this uh, widow who's out gathering sticks. And she says, I'm going to make a little cake for myself and my son that we're going to eat it and die. And Elijah said, don't fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake. Boy, that's selfish, isn't it? <laughs> make me a little cake and then make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Well, Elijah does the same miracle. It's the Lord God who has compassion on people in need. Not Baal, not these idols, not these false gods. Years later, when Jesus would walk on the earth, we would see the very same thing. Matthew 
chapter 15 tells us, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So what does Jesus do? He takes the lunch of a boy, seven loaves and a few small fish, and he multiplies that food to feed a multitude. It's the Lord God who has power over creation. It's the Lord God who has compassion on people in need, not Baal, not these false gods. There's a third thing that I think the miracles of Elisha and Elijah teach us is seen in 2 Kings chapter 4. And that is that the Lord God, not Baal, has power over death. Now, the background is the story that Allison read just a moment ago. Bit of an unusual story about Elisha, and it unfolds for us in 2 Kings chapter 4. It starts out like this. Elisha, the prophet, is traveling to this place called Shunem. And there was a wealthy woman there, and she and her husband uh, provided meals for Elisha and his servants. So they fed them whenever they came. And then, not only that, but they added a room to their house, and they built what has come to be known as a prophet's chamber. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Prophet's chamber, somebody built a little addition to their house. and Well, well that's sometimes uh, uh, used to, to point to a guest room or something like that. And I think it goes back to this account in Scripture. So they built a room with a little table and a bed. So whenever Elisha came, they just showed him a lot of hospitality. And Elisha wants to reward them. And uh, he asks what they need, what they want. Can I put in a good word for you with the king or the commander of the army? Because they held Elisha apparently in fairly high regard for the miracles that he had done. And so Gehazi, his servant, says, um, well, uh, she doesn't have a son and her husband's old. Now, man, I'm sorry on Father's Day that the, the husband doesn't get a little more press, but the only press the man in the story gets is he's old. The father's old. And so Elisha says to the woman, next year at this time, you're going you're gonna to bear a son. Now, she could hardly believe it, but it happened. She had a son. And sometime later, when the child had grown up, he was out in the field with his dad one day working, and he, his head began to really hurt. And his dad held him and then sent him back to his mother. And the child died in her arms. And, um, and so the mom sends for the prophet Elisha. And he tries to send his servant back with his staff to put it on the, the face of the child. And, and the woman said, no, you come yourself. You got to come yourself. So he comes all the way to her house and he goes in, and for reasons I don't understand, he lays on top of the child, puts his eyes on his eyes, and we again read the scriptures Allison read a moment ago. He got up and walked again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. What's the point in these miracles, these resurrections? To demonstrate it is the Lord God who has power over death, not Baal. 
He's got power over creation. He's got compassion upon his people. He's even got power over death. Elijah, we saw, did the very same thing. The widow that he had provided for also had a son, only uh, one son, and he died. And 1 Kings 17 tells us that after his death, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper uh, chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother, and Elijah said, your son lives. We see these very similar miracles, Elijah and Elisha. What are they showing us? It's not Baal. It's not these idols that have power over the created world that provide food and crops. It's not Baal. It's not these idols that has compassion on needy people, the widows, the orphans. And Baal cannot raise the dead. But Yahweh, the Lord God, the true and living God, does and can. And remember, prophets are God's instruments to turn the hearts of people back to him. When people have got their trust in the wrong place, in the wrong God, in an idol, prophets speak God's word to turn back their hearts. And they show that Yahweh, the Lord God, has power over the rain, power to divide the Jordan River, power to provide and multiply food. He's got compassion, and he's got power over death. But the most important thing about all these Old Testament records is that they're all pointing forward to someone greater than themselves. We learn this in the New Testament, passages like the book of Hebrews, that these Old Testament records, these accounts, these miracles, they're all pointing ahead to someone. John the Baptist, who came into the world in the spirit and power of Elijah to her, turn the hearts of people back to the true God, to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. John the Baptist prepared the way for him. And when he was born, he, the Son of God, would throughout his ministry demonstrate power over the created world. He would start by turning water into wine. And he would speak a word to calm storms. He would even walk on the water. He would multiply food. He would raise the dead on a number of occasions, including the son of a widow in Luke chapter 7. But he was not a mere prophet. Jesus, the Son of God, predicted his own death and his own resurrection. None of these prophets had been able to do that. None of the prophets had ever lived a, a sinless life. None of the prophets had ever completely done perfectly the will of the Father. But Jesus did. Then he laid down his life willingly. He allowed himself to be taken, arrested. He allowed himself to be mocked. He allowed himself to be beaten and spit upon. The very Son of God, the creator of all that exists, allowed himself 
to be spit upon by the created ones and mocked and scourged and flogged and nailed to a cross. And there he would fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah. He would bear our sin. He would bear our judgment. He would take our place. He would be the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, the great substitute, the one and all offering for our sin. Then he would be raised from death on the third day, showing that now he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he would send us out as his messengers to take his gospel, his word, to turn the hearts of people from idols, false belief, false religion, to turn to the true and living God, the one with power over creation, the one with compassion for people in need, the one who can raise the dead. But not only does he raise the dead, he provides eternal life. Because he has power over death, we can trust him not only for what we need in this life, but for our eternity. One of the questions that, that people have asked me over the years is, what happens to a believer, a Christian, when they die? Uh, do they go into some state of soul sleep until Jesus returns and then come alive? Is that what happens? And I don't, I don't believe that at all. Because I believe when God the Holy Spirit brings us into relationship with himself, he never, ever leaves us, even at death. I believe that when a Christian dies, we are immediately and forever in the presence of the Lord. Father's Day for many of us is a, is a, is a joyous celebration, but, but also for many of us, there there can be sorrow. Uh, my wife and I have both lost our dads, and sometimes on Father's Day you think about Think about the fact that you sure wish you could have had more years uh, with your dad. Some of you have lost your father somewhat recently, and it's not a day filled with joy. But we can know this. When those we love know Jesus Christ, we have this great promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Apostle Paul himself said, I long to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far. I read a statement this week that comes out of the shorter catechism that I, th I thought was an encouraging statement, and it says this well. You'll see it on the screen. The shorter catechism is just a, a, a Q&A form of teaching really designed for to simplify the teaching of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's often been used to teach theological truths to children. And, and number 37 of that catechism reads, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. But more importantly, Romans chapter 8 gives us these words. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That tells me that death will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you and I die, we go immediately into his glorious presence. Now, as we close our reflection on the lives of Elisha and Elijah, these prophets who were used to turn the hearts of people back to the true and living God, a couple, three questions by way of personal application for us. Does my life reflect my belief that God owns all creation? that he rules over all creation, that he is able to provide what I need. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Secondly, am I and are we as a church going, showing God's compassion to people in need? You know the New Testament has a lot of teaching for us Christians, us followers of Jesus, about how we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to show us compassion to the world, particularly to widows and to orphans. The Apostle James said this is what true religion is, showing God's love to orphans and widows. There's a whole section in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 about care for widows in the church. Are we as a church fulfilling this? I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to say as I look at what so many of you are doing serving in local ministries and missions that I do see that happening to a significant degree. But there's far more for us to do. And then thirdly, am I letting the world around me know that God alone can give eternal life? Those of us who are followers of Jesus have the most important message in the world. And we are now the messengers to the world to bring the message of the gospel so that people's hearts are turned from darkness into light, from false belief into truth, from trusting in other things to trusting in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Would you join me as we pray about that this morning? Father, how we thank you that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. Father, I pray this morning for anyone here who has never put his or her trust in Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life, that today you would impress upon that person their great need for your forgiveness, for your salvation, that you would reveal yourself as Savior and Lord and the giver of eternal life. Father, I pray for those who need to know you as the great provider of all things and the one who has compassion on those in need that you would do that work of encouragement by the Holy Spirit this morning. And for each of us today, 
We pray that we might know you better and love you more. And we pray in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.